Welcome to the CMS Real Deal podcast, where we take a step back from the legal nitty-gritty and provide insight into issues affecting the property industry. I'm Danny Drummond-Brassington. Today, I'm joined by my fellow partner, Cheryl Gurnham, for part two of our podcast on this year's Thought Leadership Report, Real Estate Reset, Offices and Purpose Beyond the Pandemic. Welcome, Cheryl. Hi. Um. So you're here today to talk about the ESG section of our Thought Leadership Report. And in 2020, it really has been an acronym that everybody's been talking about. Last year on our podcast around this time of year, we looked at ESG and perhaps focused a lot more on the the E and the G. And I think it's fair to say that the COVID pandemic has brought the S to the forefront as social and sustainable aspects of our life and real estate has uh, been brought into stark relief. So let's just jump straight in, Cheryl. Um, Why do you think ESG is at the top of everybody's agenda? Well, firstly, I would say as a result of the um, green agenda coming um, higher on the list, that has been the emphasis for the E part, for the environmental um, side of things becoming much more important. Um, Obviously, we had Greta Thunberg and her campaign. Also, there have been um, strides with government and everybody having their um, their zero carbon targets, which has become really sort of the the sort of main agenda. Um, As for the social side of things and why that has really caught up. I think the pandemic has had an influence on this. Firstly, we see that the way that we use uh, buildings, particularly from a real estate side of view, we see the way that we use buildings as actually having an impact on on people's lives who are in them. And and also the the great um, difference there is in society with those the haves and the have-nots as it were um, we were all very much aware if we take residential property um, the impact that covid has had on on families perhaps living in overcrowded um, flats uh, perhaps with no access to outside um, and the, the the impact that lockdown has had on, on them um, and then similarly, if we look at the places where people work in close proximity with each other and the way people move around, having a, such an impact on, on their likelihood of catching COVID. Um, so that has had an impact on, on the, the social aspect, because I think we've seen that the built environment has an impact on society, just as our policies and our and our um, government has an impact on on society. Yeah, and I think it's quite interesting, certainly um, hearing a lot more in in sort of lockdown two, um, how lockdown one was a sort of reaction of just get used to being at home and all of those different things that came with it and the the, the differences that different people felt and depending on on where you lived, etc. But now it's sort of really missing the office. Um, it feels like, you know, because we're deprived of it for so long and that whole concept of is the office dead um, and actually now people go, well, actually, I'm missing the social uh, yeah. aspects of the office and the community and the um, the role that the built environment has has to play there. I mean, we were, first of all, relieved about the commute and now it's actually 
might want that. Well, indeed. And um, I'm actually speaking from the office at the moment um, because luckily I have builders around my flat at the moment. And I must say, I am very pleased to be in a position where I am actually allowed to go into the office because it's incapable of, I'm incapable of working from home at the moment. Um, so I am actually really enjoying the uh, the fact that I can see people and that I'm not stuck at home in my spare room, um, just looking at the same four walls all the time and just having too many conversations with my cat. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, I'm, I, I am really looking forward to it. I think that is what people see. And I think that the changes that offices are going to have of being a social hub where people are going to want to go uh, to bounce ideas off, to have those team moments. Um, I think what, one thing is it's very difficult to keep a team motivated and together when you're physically apart. Um, and teams just teams or zoom calls just can't replicate that ability to see somebody when they're struggling and just have a quick chat with them or that um, camaraderie you have perhaps when people are working really late of just going up to somebody and say oh do you need help can I help you with this which you would normally do when you see somebody working late in the office um, but of course you 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 don't see that um, at the moment because you don't really keep tabs on whether people are logged on to, no, <laughs> to you're Teams. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. And I think it's it's a sort of an acceleration, isn't it, of that the um thing that we've been talking about a lot over the past few years about the well being of being in, in an office space and um it offices can actually be part of your recruitment process. If it's a an office that supports a healthy work life balance, has you know good well being. And really the pandemic sort of accelerated that trend that everybody's been talking about and will be critical to the ongoing sort of operation and engineering of buildings. So just thinking about that, do you think we're going to start to see this sort of two-tier real estate market emerge where those that the the real estate has really had ESG at the sort of heart of it and the principles driving that investment or that development versus those that haven't? I suppose it's it's difficult to know whether there will be a two-tier system because at the end of the day, probably those that have been designed and built with that in mind are more likely to be those buildings that have undergone either recent construction in its first you know, complete new builds or are going to be ones that have undergone some substantial refurbishment, which therefore necessarily already probably attract that added premium. So whether it's because they are ESG um, aligned or whether that happens to be a um, a coincidence, as it were, because that's the way design is going, I, I'm not sure at the moment. I think certainly those buildings that don't have that, there probably will be a, a discount. Um, but similarly, that's probably the the fact that they are the, le- the less attractive buildings in the first place. I mean, I, I think it will be quite interesting. I, I The flat I live in, um, I live in, in Zone 1 in central London, um, but I don't have a balcony or any outside, any personal outside space. I have shared outside space, but not personal outside space. And I wonder if my flat will be worth less as a result of that. Um, 
Yeah. So I, similarly, in, the, in, in other markets, I wonder if it would be the same. Actually, it was quite interesting. I was listening to um, Stephen Mew of GPE the other week, and he said it, we shouldn't be talking about green premiums, which is what people are saying, you know, ESG costs money. Um, you should be actually thinking more of it as a brown discount, which actually goes to your point that um, buildings that don't embody ESG principles are likely to be seen as, as a discount as opposed to um, paying more for something. Mm. Um, so it's interesting then uh, space one to watch mm, yeah I think it will be interesting to see I mean particularly I suppose on the environmental side of ESG um, there is of course the impact that we we need to have more environmentally uh, beneficial buildings around otherwise place isn't going to exist in the future yeah. and so we need to make we need to do something like that's the urgency of that perhaps there's less urgency on the uh, on the s side although i think people are becoming more aware of that but there is an urgency on the e side of things so at some point these buildings that don't meet certain environmental requirements i think will be obsolete whether that's because of government regulations requiring minimum EPC levels or you know, that, that keeps increasing the requirements on those or otherwise um, we have to do stuff to we have to better our we have to up our game really. Well yes and that's the other thing that came out in in 2020 isn't it that you know all of a sudden the avi- the uh, airlines not flying and the, the the peace and quiet that you know you're a fellow Londoner like me the peace and the peace and quiet was um was, was joyful actually um and then you think well the environmental impact of the planes not flying over um I, obviously there's economic Im- impacts but um we achieved in in a matter of weeks what greta has been talking about and you know people are looking you know long-term plans about um cutting fossil fuel emissions and airline emissions it, it, it's been quite an astounding year when you look at it like that mm, mm. Um, and I suppose it's when do we just go back to the same same habits and the same ways of dealing, or do we look at how we how we change our ways? And um, I mean, I suppose it's it's a test to to see, you know, as soon as the restrictions were lifted, how many people decided to go on holiday abroad on a plane. Cheryl, just bringing all of these sort of ESG elements together, um, it really sort of it can't be achieved, can it, by just single property owner and single property owner or occupiers. It needs sort of collaboration. Um, do you think that collaboration is starting? Um, are we starting to see it? I think it, it started a long time ago. Um, green leases, for example, have been around for quite some time. Uh, so green leases provide for various different things generally it it provides for cooperation and collaboration on um, improving the sustainability of a building Um, now that's obviously going to be very different in a multi-let building compared to a a single let building Um, but there is a landlord and tenant collaboration there it also might provide for um for data to be shared. It also might provide for um, particular restrictions on alterations that the tenant can carry out. It may even contain particular restrictions on what the landlord can carry out. 
Um, and these green leases have been around for a while. Um, there was a great impetus probably about 10 years ago to include green lease wording in most leases. And many institutional landlords included those green lease uh, provisions within their leases. However, I'm not sure to what extent those green lease provisions have been used. And I've had conversations with a number of clients who, who say that the lease is drafted, it's um, completed, and great, you know, you might have masses of negotiation when it comes to those green lease clauses, which I'll, I'll, I'll go into in a minute. You know, people saying, oh, no, we must have this provision and no, we must have that provision and we're not going to sign up to your policy or you must sign up to our policy or this is our this is what we want. You have great negotiation about it. And then when the actual lease is, is granted and completed, people just forget what that lease says and don't really operate the provisions within there. Mm. Um, so. For example, they might not be collecting the data from the tenants to to track what the sustainability is. And but now I think that that has changed on the, on the green side of things. So on the e side of things, I think landlords are much more clued more clued up about what data they should be uh, capturing from the tenants, and also their ability to capture that information um, using their their existing green leases. Um, but I don't think having just the wording in the lease really gets you there. It is much more about that ongoing landlord and tenant relationship. Um, also, it's about engaging with the right people. So I don't know, retailers probably use the, their standard um, fit out contractors to do fit out. And they will just go in and into each retail shop, measure it up and make every single shop look otherwise pretty much the same. If, for example, you negotiate something in the lease that says something particular about fit-out requirements, does that information then get to the relevant person who's doing the fit-out? Um, and then, you know, one of the negotiations I had, it's very strange with it with a retailer once. Um, this was probably about eight years ago or something, and we were negotiating um, a new lease, and we had the standard very, very light touch, we will cooperate wording in, in terms of green leases. And um, the retailer, who will remain nameless, said, well, we're not signing up to your green lease wording. Um, you must sign up to, we, we must adopt our policy. Anyway, I, I thought, okay, well, I'll look up online to see what their sustainability policy is. And yes, they did have a sustainability policy, but it was absolutely nothing about, about what they do. And it was all about what their suppliers do, mm -hmm. um, which is a bit sort of passing the buck, as it were, rather than yeah. um, actually taking action yourself. Whereas, as you said, it's about that collaboration. Both parties need to cooperate together. Now, when it comes to S, though, I've not seen any drafting in leases around the S side of things. So I don't think that the moment, anyway, there's that collaboration around how you can work to, together to improve the building user's well-being. I'm also not quite sure if there's that collaboration around maybe using um, local suppliers for particular uh, jobs that need to be done, um, or whether there's that collaboration around any other things that where a building itself could have that positive impact on society. And 
it might be interesting to see if that's somewhere where we go, if it is something that is, is involved in lease drafting or whether it's just something that's more around cooperation of um, landlord and tenant. So perhaps landlord might have a particular local charity of the year and encourage its tenants to get involved in that particular local charity. That could be a, a, a nice example of that. And also landlords, of course, wanting to provide well-being services for their occupiers within the building. You're seeing a lot more of that, of course, but yeah. um, that's more to do with design and um, attractiveness of the building in the first place, I suppose. And it's quite interesting you say you're not seeing drafting in, in leases. I guess um, I was going to ask, you know, how you think lawyers sort of contribute to the, the sort of ESE, ESG agenda and you know, how you collaborate with Iran. And I think that's really what you've just been touching on. But it strikes me that um, in a real estate context, collaboration isn't just necessarily between landlord and tenant. It's It's the community as well. And what if you are a big occupier um, in a particular area, what do you do with the community? I think you touched on it then about local suppliers and and it's quite difficult to see that that could be regulated under a lease or prescribed yeah. in a lease. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, after this year, I just think anything goes, doesn't it? I would be interesting to see. I don't, I'm not going to make a prediction that it won't it won't come into some kind of lease at some point. Yeah, I suppose if it did come into the lease, it would be around just having, uh, you know, having a uh, an obligation on landlord and tenant to collaborate around initiatives. I suppose that's all the, the all the wording. I think probably could say anything else would be like. So actually, we did used to have uh, there was one client who used to um, put in their leases uh, an obligation to pay a contribution to a charity. I think a lot of people and for years we've been talking about CSR. So how is ESG different to CSR? Is it just the new new version of CSR? Well, yes, I think it is different. CSR is basically at a, at a corporate level of a business. What do you do for the for charity wise? So for a law firm, I suppose our CSR focus will be what pro bono advice we might give, um, what charities might we might encourage donations to um, ESG is a lot wider than that in that you're looking at what are our sustainable goals generally often they're aligned with the um, UN SDGs which I think is is a way of aligning it has become a standard way of uh, aligning um, not both your positive impact but also your negative impact because you you it's all very well shouting about what you've done positively but you might be actually negatively impacting on on these things and I suppose the difference between them is that I suppose it's the governance aspect and the environmental aspect might be the, the two different side of things so you've got that pure environmental sustainability goal of ESG and you've got the the governance aspect of it, which is making sure that policies and monitoring is in place. And I think that's key because without the policies and monitoring the impact of those policies, having provisions in place doing good probably isn't really worth much because you need to you need to apply both your positive and your negative 
outputs on these things. And so that's, I suppose, you know, especially it's easy to see environmentally whether you, you've got negative outputs. You can see yeah. how much paper is thrown away. You can see whether or not you use too harsh chemicals to clean things. Mm. Um, although, of course, it's interesting. Of course, now we're um, encouraging harsh chemicals to clean everything because of COVID. <laughs> But on the upside, we haven't used much paper this year. I mean, no. I certainly, my uh, my printer credit allowance came through and said I hadn't used any printer credits oh, in well October. Done. So I was very pleased with myself for that one. Um, the trick is when we get back into an office is whether I can keep the sort of paperless way of working going. Changing tax slightly, Cheryl, I know you've been involved with the Green Finance Institute. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about that and um, what they're trying to do? Yes. Yeah, so I've been involved in one of the um, coalition groups looking at uh looking at ways that we might encourage the residential market to retrofit their buildings um and we were split into various different teams looking at the different aspects and as a result i'm on a working group um looking at creating a new green lease bolt-ons i suppose for asts and i think the, the main difference I suppose ASTs haven't had green lease provisions in them generally because everyone just uses the standard AST. Um, but here it, it goes a step further. So rather than just talking about what landlord and tenant might do to collaborate together to improve um, sustainability of a, of a property, it's also looking at how you might financially align the landlord and tenant interests so that the landlord might carry out retrofit works, but then spread the cost of those retrofit works. Um, to, so get the tenant to pay for those costs by spreading it out over a number of years, perhaps over the terms of the different ASTs that they have, by charging an additional sum of rent, but that additional figure of rent being directly attributable to the energy savings that, that tenant would have received as a result of those retrofit works having been carried out. So putting in a more energy efficient boiler, for example, might mean that your your costs, your energy costs are a lot lower um, to incentivize the landlord to be able to do those works in the first place. They want to make sure that they can recover the cost of that. Mm -hmm. So therefore, making sure the tenant pays for those through the energy savings. Interesting, and and you know, be interesting to see how the residential market reacts to that, and whether um, prospective tenants see just costs more because they don't they don't factor in energy costs. Um, yeah, just think about the re the headline rent, um, and maybe it's a, it needs a market shift. Yeah, and this is this is one of the things we've been grappling with really is how do you get that. Um, you know, if you're if you're looking on uh, an estate agent's website, for example, you just see the headline rent. You don't then think about yeah, the what detail. your other costs are. Yeah, now oh, interesting. Well, um, that would be interesting to hear how that develops. Um, my final question then, Cheryl, is um, really about what's on the horizon. So, frankly, I think we're all looking to put 2020 behind us. And um, how do you see ESG shaping 2021? I think and hope it's here to stay. Um, I think it will mean different things to different people. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, I think on the environmental side at least, 
everyone will be fairly aligned with um, with carbon reduction and there might be other elements of environmental aims and goals that people might be aligned to but I think certainly um, carbon reduction will be the the main thrust of that um, which will have an impact I think on what people are going to build in the future new builds I think we will see a lot more refurbishments and retrofitting than we will complete new builds I think possibly the London skyline might not have quite so many big tall glass towers we'll see we'll see of course those that are in the pipeline already will go on and, and proceed but I think as as um as companies look to see do we need to do a complete rebuild here or do, can we do some sort of substantial refurbishment reusing as much as materials as possible will be something that we will see and I think we'll see more and more of that um, especially as investors are are pushing for more sustainable um, developments. Um, on the S side, I think the well-being and good mental health interests will be at, at the fore, especially as a result of, of COVID. I think we'll be learning from, from that. And I think that will be something that will be in everybody's interests. Um, we've spoken a lot about offices, but of course, there are a lot of other um, types of buildings, quite types of real estate assets. And I think anywhere where people work, so whether that's factories or warehouses or offices or shopping centres, there is going to be that interest around well-being. I also think that there will be a more localised focus for particular buildings look especially where you have new developments or substantial refurbishments with developers looking at that local community and thinking how it's actually impacting on that local community as it is at the at the time they're doing the development and thinking how they might improve relations with the local community um i always think it's quite telling you could be that philanthropist, I suppose, as it were, who just goes and decides, oh, yes, well, I'm going to build a load of playgrounds in this area. That's definitely what will look good here. And then actually realising that the local community, mostly, you know, average age of 90 or something, <laughs> probably not going to be what they need. So it's, there has to be that idea of a dialogue with the community to find out what the community's needs are. Um, and I think we will see a lot more of that. Hopefully. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, thanks for joining us today on, on the podcast. And thank you to everyone listening. Please don't forget to subscribe uh, via your usual podcast um, store. And also don't forget to rate us. Thank you. Thank you.